0: You're listening to the True Crime Base Podcast with your host, Steve. Hello again everyone, and welcome to our 23rd case together. If you've enjoyed the show so far... Please make sure that you've subscribed on your chosen podcast directory and then all of the new episodes will automatically download for you upon their release. You can also listen to the new episodes through the website too. So if you go over to www.truecrimefixpodcast.co.uk you'll see all of the episodes are at the base of the home screen. The episodes are also now available on YouTube on the True Crime Fix channel, so please, if you enjoy the show, spread the word as far as possible. I have realised something about this podcast recently, which has been completely unplanned, but the majority of the victims that I have focused on to date have been female, with only four episodes so far focusing on male victims. Not only that, but to date, I've only focused on two cases where there is a female perpetrator. This case today is the 11th of the second season, and following in the footsteps of the 11th case of the first season, it is also a two-parter. I am going to cover a case which you may already have heard of, but the victim is still an afterthought proof of this is that when you type his name into Google, no information comes up about him unless you include the perpetrator's name as well. Just remember my dear listener, sometimes if your parent offers you a gut feeling, they're telling you this for a reason. So without further ado, this is your True Crime Fix. I'm your host Steve and this episode has been written in memory of Lee Harvey. Lee Raymond Dean Harvey was born on the 20th of September 1971 and he was raised in Kings Norton, which is a little village in the West Midlands, six and a half miles from Birmingham city centre. He was the son of Ray and Maureen Harvey and he also had an older sister, Michelle. Lee's exploits as a child were those of a normal mischievous boy. His mum Maureen, remembering her son fondly in a book which she wrote following his passing, described him as being wonderful and everyone who met him, even if it was only for a few minutes, took a shine to him. He apparently had an aura about him, which lit up any room that he walked into. Maureen described him as a good-looking, kind lad, who was no angel but always looked out for others. She also remembered Lee when he was an infant. When he started play school, which is the English equivalent of kindergarten, he had a favourite toy there, which was a scruffy red and blue bicycle. What his parents didn't understand was that he had a brand new version of this toy at home but he was adamant that he needed this one, so he asked his parents to do a swap, which of course the teacher agreed to. Maureen also recalled when he was four years old, someone accidentally left the front doors of the school open and he managed to escape and catch a bus he had managed to complete two complete circuits of the bus route before he was identified by one of his mum's clients from the hair salon she worked at who was able to safely return him to her. This was where Lee would proudly declare that he was going to be a bus driver when he grew up. A declaration that he would go on to fulfil. At school, Lee was a popular student, and was also good academically. He loved swimming, camping and the general outdoors. He joined the Air Cadets as soon as he was old enough to do so, but he was really into his sport. As he got older, Ray and Lee would regularly play golf together. He was also a good snooker player, winning many tournaments he was a massive fan of Birmingham City Football Club. From school, Lee went on to be a bus driver on the number 35 bus with West Midlands Travel. Even there, he was able to dabble in his love of sport, playing for the company cricket team. Lee was described as being a bit of a ladies man and he claimed that Pamela Anderson was his dream woman. Many of the subsequent ladies that he would go on to date often could be described as having breasts which were on the larger side, much like Pamela Anderson. In 1991, at the age of 20, Lee became a father himself for the first time to a baby girl named Danielle. Unfortunately, though, The relationship with the mother of the child, Anita, did not last and the pair broke up two years after Danielle had been born, but they remained good friends as Lee wanted to be part of Danielle's life. When the relationship ended, he moved back home and converted the Harvey's spare room into Danielle's bedroom. Maureen remembering in her book, The hours that Lee would spend with Danielle playing in the garden or attending one of her tea parties. She described him as the perfect dad. At the weekends was when he was able to spend more time with her, and it was clear to everyone that he doted over his daughter. In May 1994, Lee met Tracy Andrews at the Baker's Nightclub in Birmingham. Tracy was two years older than Lee. She was a blonde and she was also a single parent who worked as a barmaid and a part-time model. Tracy revealed her dream of becoming a page three glamor model and loved the attention that she got from men as she walked down the street or danced in a nightclub. She would always wear sexy outfits and heels to make sure that all eyes were on her. She loved to be the centre of attention, but the issue was that if that attention wasn't on her at all times, she had a habit of her mood changing as quick as a click of her fingers. Tracy had had a difficult family life, with her dad walking out on the family when she was young. Tracy and Lee described it as love at first sight and moved into her house very soon after becoming a couple and everything seemed to be great for the first few weeks of living together Tracy's daughter Carla got on very well with Danielle and they loved to pretend to be sisters Lee's parents however did not like Tracy from the start with Maureen describing the relationship as another trophy girlfriend who wouldn't take much persuading to get into bed? He was in lust, and we hoped that Lee would see through her. According to Maureen, the first time that Lee brought Tracy to meet her and her husband, a Sunday lunch about a week after the pair had got together, she had divulged everything about herself, both good and bad, in just over half an hour. Maureen didn't feel comfortable with how Tracy was so negative about her relatives and her ex boyfriend, who was the father of her daughter. Tracy seemed to thrive on drama. The whirlwind, which had been the start of the relationship, was dying down to a gentle breeze, and arguments were starting over silly things. For example, Tracy didn't like Lee going out with his friends and would accuse him of looking at other women on nights out. On the other hand, Lee would get angry if Carla's dad would call the house and arrange to pick her up. Eventually though, Tracy started to become very controlling and was able to manipulate any situation into her favour. She started to try and drive a wedge between Lee and his family, and was especially jealous of Lee's relationship with Anita and Danielle, but also his sister. Lee was very open with his family when it came to the relationships, revealing what was keeping him and Tracy together, saying, it's the best sex I've ever had, going on to describe how he would come home from work and he would find her waiting for him, in stockings and suspenders ready to take him upstairs. Lee even confided in his sister that he thought he had experienced everything in the bedroom until he met Tracy. The relationship started to become more volatile after the initial honeymoon period. They started to date on and off, and would follow a regular pattern. Usually, one or both of them would have too much to drink and they would argue. The arguments would often escalate to the point where Tracy would either call her mum or the police in hysterics, saying that she wanted Lee out of the flat that the couple shared. She would claim domestic violence saying that objects were being thrown at her whilst Lee was being threatening. The police would always find it to be a matter of an alcohol-fuelled domestic argument, but would never find evidence of violence that had been claimed. Lee would always end up leaving and eventually back at his mum and dad's house with all of his stuff. The testimony of Lee's parents, however, was that he would always turn up with scratches, bites and bruises, but it was not clear whether these had been obtained during arguments or the aforementioned exploits in the bedroom. Usually, a couple of days after the argument though, Tracy would end up calling him in floods of tears, begging him to come back, and Lee would always return. Maureen and Ray tried to convince Lee that this relationship was toxic and wasn't good for either of them. They expressed that they were tired of him coming back and forth, as well as being worried for his safety. Maureen even tried calling Tracy to tell her that she wasn't happy with how she was treating her son. The pair were engaged within six months of meeting. Lee thinking that this would calm Tracy down, and she'd realise how serious he was about her, and stop accusing him of cheating on her. Lee had told his parents that he was going to ask Tracy to marry him, and they were not happy about it, but they felt that they needed to respect Lee's wishes. Tracy was ecstatic at the proposal, and she immediately said yes. Lee had told her that nobody else knew about the engagement, so Tracy wanted to do a big announcement at the Harvey's family barbecue that was coming up at the weekend. On the day of the barbecue, Tracy was so excited to tell everyone about hers and Lee's engagement. She was waiting for the right moment to share her good news, when suddenly Lee's sister Michelle asked for everyone's attention. She announced that she was getting engaged to her long-term partner Steve and everyone cheered, except Tracy. Tracy was furious that Lee's sister had stolen her thunder and even though she was in front of Lee's family, she didn't care who saw or heard what she had to say. She stormed into the house and into Maureen's living room, with Lee following behind her. Everyone was stunned and wondered what was going on. They could hear Tracy shouting, with Lee trying to calm her down. Tracy claimed that it had been a set up between Michelle and Maureen to ruin her big moment. She said, that she should have been the first to announce her engagement and that nobody would care now that his cow of a sister had beaten her to it. Tracy carried on yelling and insulting Lee's family while she stood in his family's home. Tracy told Lee that he was banned from his sister's wedding and that if he attended, their relationship would be over. To keep the peace, Lee agreed, and on the morning of his sister's big day, some months later, he came to the house with a gift, kissed his sister on the cheek, and told her he loved her, but wouldn't be attending, giving her the reason. Michelle was devastated, and later said that it tainted her wedding day. As was now the regular pattern, in August 1996, Lee again returned from Tracy's house after yet another argument and arrived on his parents' doorstep with his bags. This time, though, there was something different about him and it appeared to be over for good. A few days later, Tracy got in touch with him and attempted the waterworks again, but he was not buying it this time. It was then, though, that she said that she wanted to talk to him about something important and she revealed to him that she was pregnant. Lee felt that he couldn't turn his back on her now and decided to give things one last chance. Maureen expressed how gutted she was about the pregnancy and thought there would be no way of getting rid of Tracy now. A few weeks went by and things seemed to have calmed down quite a bit. Lee was still staying at his mother's house to create a little bit of space between them. One day, he got a call from Tracy to say that she had had a miscarriage. He was devastated and moved back into her house to look after her. Tracy was going through a period of low self-esteem and complained to Lee that motherhood had made her breasts sag and Lee agreed to pay for her to have some plastic surgery to boost her confidence. A few weeks later, Lee and Tracy visited his parents' house. Tracy was wearing a low-cut top which showed off her new enhancements. Maureen described how Tracy grabbed her husband's hand and said, Here, have a feel of them. With her newfound confidence on nights out, she would openly flirt with men and Lee would be furious. Another argument erupted when they got home and the neighbours called the police. Tracy told Lee that she didn't have a miscarriage and that she had had an abortion. She told him that having a baby would ruin her life and he was devastated and furious. The police arrived and tried to calm the situation down. Lee again went back to his parents' house. Lee was at his mother's house for a few days, trying to get over what Tracy had done, and his friends encouraged him to go out with them for a few drinks to cheer him up. He finally agreed to go, and they all went to a nightclub. Unknown to Lee, Tracy had heard about the night out, so she decided that she was going to spy on him. She went from club to club in Birmingham City Centre looking for him, and when she finally found him in a nightclub, Lee was having a conversation with a girl that he knew. Spotting this, Tracy saw red and walked up to him and started screaming at him. Clubbers looked on in shock, as Tracy began to punch, kick and bite Lee until security, with some struggle, managed to pull her off of him. Lee was left with a huge bite mark on his neck. When he returned to his parents' house later that evening, they were horrified when they saw the state of Lee's neck. This appeared to be the final straw, With Tracy faking the miscarriage, the abortion, the endless fights, and now the attack in the nightclub, it appeared as though the relationship was finally over for good. Alas, we have been here before, and I'm sure that you're not shocked that Lee gave her another chance. His family couldn't believe it. His sister Michelle refused to speak to him and his parents warned him that he was going to end up getting killed at some point. Ray even got fairly heated with his son about bringing his family into their petty fights. Lee would often go and stay at Ray's sister Jean's house, but on the day that Ray confronted Lee, he said, I quote, Oh no, you're not going to Jean's this time. You are not involving my family in your nightmare with this little slut. A few weeks passed and it seemed that Lee was beginning to come to his senses once and for all. He told his friends and family he wanted to end the relationship for good and this time they believed him. He told Tracy it was over and she begged him to change his mind. Lee was adamant this time, and said he wanted to stay friends. Tracy persuaded him to go for a drink and talk about things properly. He agreed, and they both went to the Marlbrook pub in Bromsgrove on Sunday the 1st December 1996. The next part of this story has been taken directly from the memoirs of Maureen Harvey. I quote, It was 3.20am on Monday the 2nd of December. The sound of a car pulling up outside had woken Ray and me. Who else would be turning up in the middle of the night other than Lee? I pulled back the curtains and saw a white car parked at the end of our drive. I realised it was not Lee's. I was horrified when I saw two uniformed police officers get out of the car and make their way up the garden path. Facing a policeman and woman on the doorstep, I gripped Ray's arm. Are you the parents of Lee Harvey? One of them asked. I am afraid there has been some sort of row, the officer continued. A road rage attack. He has been stabbed and killed. It can't be Lee, Ray said. No, I heard myself say. You've made a mistake. It's not him. It can't be. She inquired about whether Tracy had been with him and whether she had been hurt. The police informed Maureen that she had been taken to Alexandra Hospital in Redditch and she was in shock and there had been some bruising from where she had been attacked, but she was alright. The police explained that Cooper's Hill, the lane in which the murder had taken place in the village of Alvachurch, would be closed to enable officers from the West Mercia forensics team to begin their investigation into Lee's death. This meant that the family could not see Lee until they were finished. It was 7.30am by the time the police left the family home, informing the family that they would be in touch to arrange for them to identify Lee's body. The events of the evening had been reported to the police as follows by Tracy. As previously mentioned, the couple had gone to the pub and had been having a quiet drink when they left at around 9.45pm in Lee's 1990 white Ford Escort XR3i Turbo. On the way back to her flat, which was two miles away from the pub, she described how Lee had been overtaken by a car which had been described as a dirty-coloured 1986 Ford Sierra. She described how the car was beeping the horn, flashing its lights and speeding up close to them tailgating them the whole way, driving up to speeds of 70 miles per hour down single-track country lanes. She said that Lee had eventually stopped the car, to which the car behind did the same thing. Both Lee and one of the men in the Sierra, who was estimated at being 18 or 19, with short dark hair, got out of the car and began to exchange profanities with each other. The driver then headed back to his car, but as he did, the passenger, who was described as white and physically overweight with starry eyes, began to physically fight with Lee. Tracy said that she was screaming for them to stop and tried to intervene, but was punched and pushed to the ground by the heavier set man. Suddenly, Lee fell to the floor and the two men jumped back into the car and sped off. Tracy realised that Lee had been stabbed multiple times. She claimed that she checked for his pulse but could not find one. She held him in her arms and screamed for help. At the post-mortem, it was discovered that Lee had been stabbed a total of 42 times. 30 wounds around the neck and chest area, one in his back and the remainder were the result of defensive wounds on his hands and fingers. The police wanted to use Tracy to go over what had happened that night by retracing her recollection. Tracy and her dad went in one police car and Maureen and Ray were in another they went down the winding country lane where Tracy said they had been chased. The banks of the single track road were filled with heavily dense woodland. It was clear to everyone that it would have been pitch black. Just a quick side note, those who are able to think back to how weak the old style headlights were prior to having the new halogen lights. According to Tracy's story, the car would have been racing down that road almost blind. Also, Maureen and Ray were starting to have a nagging doubt about Tracy's story. The description of racing down Coopers Hill at 70 mile an hour was nigh on impossible. The police cars, which contained drivers of an advanced standard, kept having to slow for blind corners. Secondly, on British roads, which cut through the countryside and are extremely narrow, there will be sections where you are able to give way to oncoming vehicles. When they were on the reenactment, the police vehicles were met by an old lady in a Morris Minor coming in the other direction. There was a struggle for the two vehicles to pass without collision. The idea that two cars were playing cat and mouse was starting to sound a bit suspicious. The convoy pulled over at the site of the attack and Lee's parents were beside themselves with grief and laid some flowers. Tracy remained in the back of the other vehicle. Head bowed for a long while, before getting out and assisting the police with their inquiries. Once back at Redditch Police Station, the detectives wanted to hold a press conference and make an appeal for witnesses. They wanted Tracy to make an appeal, but she point-blank refused to do it at first. Maureen then decided to play on her ego a little bit by saying phrases like, All eyes will be on you, and you'll be the star. Maureen recalled Tracy's expression changing and eventually agreeing as long as Maureen and Ray would sit alongside her, and they would hold her hand for support. On Tuesday, the 3rd of December 1996, the now infamous press conference would take place. Tracy made an emotional appeal for the killers and witnesses to come forward. Followed and chased um, along the lanes. Um, it was a case of both Lee and the other person were like playing cat and mouse with each other. Whoever this person is that was with you, you obviously know him. But He's ruined my life and he's ruined the lives of Maureen and Ray and uh, please just tell us who he is. Journalists realised how forthcoming and composed she seemed to be for someone who had gone through such an horrific ordeal and had just lost the love of her life. The police also noticed that some of what she said did not match up with her original statement. She was challenged by one reporter in the room about how she had said that the couple had left the pub at 9.45 and 10 minutes into their journey the attack had happened. Why then did she wait until nearly 10.45 to get help? The question well and truly stumped Tracy. She stumbled for an answer as the cameras in the room flashed repeatedly all of them, focusing on the beaten face of Tracy Andrews, the second victim of this horrific attack. Eventually, Detective Sergeant Ian Johnson stepped in and answered for her, saying they were still following up on different lines of inquiry, and if there were no other questions, then they would call it a day there. The once confident Andrews, Holding hands with the mother of the man that she loved had now gone, replaced by a panicked one as her story started to unravel, to be continued tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, once again due to the length of this story and how I want to go into it as detailed as possible, I'm going to have to split it into two episodes. I need to unfortunately fit recording and editing around a full-time job, so we're going to have to call it a day there until tomorrow. Please remember, if you've enjoyed the show so far or want to know more, please follow us on Twitter, at True Crime Fixed Pod, that's at True Crime Fixed Pod on Twitter. The podcast also has a Facebook page, True Crime Fix Podcast, but there's also a fan page, True Crime Fix Discussion I'm thoroughly enjoying interacting with everyone on there and this is where I post the majority of the information on the week's cases You can also visit the new website www.truecrimefixpodcast.co.uk Also a reminder that the podcast is on Patreon so please visit www.patreon.com forward slash true crime fix podcast that's www.patreon.com forward slash true crime fix podcast I also have an Instagram account so search true crime fix also if you have any suggestions or feedback for the show please contact me at true crime fix podcast at gmail.com that's true crime fix podcast at gmail.com Until next time, stay safe, look after each other and live life to the fullest because you never know who or what might be coming around the next corner. Take care everyone.